I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, September 1st, 2020. Coming up, today we'll hear from CU's world-renowned aerosol scientists about how they've worked with CU to make in-person classrooms safer from COVID-19 using methods that might work for other indoor spaces. When you have a 600 square foot space, which was the classroom sizes in my daughter's classroom, I recommended a clean air delivery rate of above 400. Colleges can be a breeding ground for COVID-19. COVID spikes have led many campuses to urge students to stay home and do only online classes. But CU Boulder is open, with over 30,000 students enrolled for the fall semester and most taking at least one class that does meet in a CU classroom. Last week, How on Earth featured CU scientists who are striving for fast turnaround virus testing that they hope will reduce COVID-19 outbreaks among CU students. In last week's show, we heard from CU's Sarah Sawyer, Her lab has developed an ultra-fast saliva test that gives results in under an hour. CU is using it to screen students who live in dorms. This is going to be one of the first places in the world where this type of test has been employed and where mass screening of healthy people is being undertaken. Worldwide shortages of the reagent used for the test mean that it can't be scaled up at this time. We hope for good news that it can be scaled up sometime soon. The Sawyer Labs test and other fast result tests might soon help another group, the 50,000 elderly Coloradans who live in senior care facilities throughout the state. This vulnerable population accounts for half of all the state's deaths from COVID-19 because people without symptoms can spread the illness. Colorado has a ban on friends and family making indoor visits to senior care facilities. The ban has reduced infections, but it's emotionally stressful for the seniors and their loved ones. Last week, Governor Jared Polis announced plans to reinstate indoor visits, but in a safer way. Visiting a senior center will now require proof of a negative COVID test that's less than 24 hours old. Currently, it can take over a week to get results from a standard COVID-19 virus check. Governor Polis says there's hope in quicker turnaround tests, including CU Boulder's new ultra-fast saliva test. Here's Governor Polis. We are extremely optimistic in the future about building capacity around quick turnaround tests. We are in the process of validating the University of Colorado saliva test, 45-minute turnaround. It would suffice for these purposes. We expect news on that in the coming week or two. There's also a protocol that has been validated in other states released by Yale University that could also be applied for this purpose. And finally, we have the Abbott quick testing platform, limited supply in the state, but also available with a 15 to 20-minute turnaround for senior home visitation. Colorado Governor Jared Polis says to expect more quick turnaround tests soon. Speaking of testing, last week nearly 7,000 students moved into CU's residence halls. CU Media Relations spokesperson Candace Smith reports that every single dorm student had to prove they were negative for COVID-19. They either arrived with tests in hand or if they didn't, we tested them before they moved in. Around 2,000 dorm students got their COVID test at CU Boulder. The CU COVID dashboard shows that less than 10 of those 2,000 tested positive. 
They have quarantined away from the dorms. The COVID-free students moved into the dorms and will get ongoing tests. We're requiring anybody living in on-campus housing to get tested once a week. The university hopes these weekly tests will keep COVID-19 cases at very low levels among students in the residence halls. But there are two challenges. One, as of this weekend, the online CU COVID Ready dashboard wasn't showing anywhere near 7,000 students have been retested. So we want to keep an eye out for potential problems scaling up the tests and reporting the results. The second challenge is much larger, literally larger. 80% of CU students do not live in dorms. They live off campus. That's around 25,000 students who are not required to take regular COVID-19 tests. If their rates of COVID-19 infection are similar to the dorm students who were tested during move-in week, it's likely that over 100 off-campus students currently have COVID-19. Students with no symptoms or mild symptoms might not decide to get tested. And if they happen to attend a crowded indoor gathering with poor ventilation, they might trigger a super-spreader event. So what's going to happen? Here's Candace Smith, CU Boulder Media Relations. Right now, we are basically on our current mode of operation. We're continuously monitoring the status. We're coordinating with Boulder County Public Health. At this time, we're able to continue to deliver courses in that hybrid model of in-person. While some students are taking classes remotely, we still have students living on campus. We've got about a quarter of our classes taking place in person. Another quarter are hybrid and online, and about half of them are fully remote or online. And the requirement was, you know, of our faculty throughout this process is that there still had to be the ability for anybody, even if you were doing in person, to go remote. Because, I mean, that's still a possibility. Depending on many variables, we could go remote at any time. But right now, you know, so far, so good. We've been speaking with CU Media Relations spokesperson Candace Smith about CU Boulder, COVID-19, and the online information you can check out at CU's COVID Ready dashboard. And for a further look at how college campuses are doing throughout the nation, here's Beth Bennett. All summer, we've been wondering about colleges, as well as K-12 schools, opening for in-person learning this fall. Now we're seeing the results of this big not very well designed experiment. Late last month, the main campus of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill closed after just a week and almost 200 students testing positive for the virus. Just a few days later, the University of Illinois closed its huge Champaign-Urbana campus after more than 60 students and staff tested positive. And at the end of last week, the University of Alabama at Tuscaloosa reported over a thousand students had tested positive for the virus. This campus has not closed, although university officials say they are enforcing protective measures such as masks and social distancing more strongly. And the city itself has closed many of the hotspots where infections were being passed. So what about CU here in Boulder? The university has set up an online information site called the COVID-19 Ready Dashboard to provide daily statistics on testing, number of new cases, and utilization of quarantine space. Unfortunately, as of August 31st, these daily counts were not available. Before this date, CU was releasing these statistics as five-day measures. For example, from August 26th to the 31st, 128 PCR tests had been done. Of these, five were positive. Now, if we extrapolate this 
probably conservative, rate of infection to the approximately 25,000 off-campus students, we would predict 21 new cases each day. CU had planned to test all 6,000 of the campus residents on a weekly basis using the rapid saliva test developed by the Sawyer Lab on this campus. Unfortunately, reagent shortages mean that this is not possible, which is why the slower, more expensive PCR test is still being done. What does all this mean? Well, the good news is that infection rates are relatively low based on limited testing. And because CU is starting to implement a new antigen test, which can detect a viral protein, which suggests infection, the new test should allow expanded testing soon with rapid results. Thanks to Beth Bennett for that report. Up next, CU Boulder scientists will explain how they are working with CU buildings and facilities staff to keep indoor classrooms safe at CU Boulder. We'll also hear how these same CU scientists have become famous around the world for raising the awareness and improving the science about how breathing in tiny, floaty particles known as aerosols might be a major way that people get COVID-19. Aerosol infection is especially likely in a crowded, stuffy room with loud people. For instance, people singing in a choir. Stay tuned. You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Shelley Schlender. Last spring, choir singing became a reason that two CU Boulder environmental scientists began to question just how COVID-19 was making people sick. These two scientists are not medical doctors. In the early spring, they were mainly confused and scared like everybody else. Jose Luis Jimenez's day job is as an environmental chemist who specializes in atmospheric gases. He says when the pandemic first began last March, he was anguished about his relatives who live in Spain. I'm originally from Spain. My family is there, and I was literally yelling at them to protect themselves, and they were kind of oblivious. Jimenez's colleague, Shelley Miller, is an environmental engineer with a specialty in indoor air quality. She says that back in the spring, she was as confused as everybody else. When all of this started hitting our community, I was actually panicked. I had no idea what was driving the infection and what we could do to resolve that issue. And I was grateful that CU and Boulder Valley School District decided to shut down schools until we knew more. Both Jimenez and Miller are now famous around the world quoted in Time Magazine, in the Atlantic Monthly, in Vox, in the New York Times, on Science Friday, and more, about how to prevent COVID-19 transmission. They're famous because their research reveals that COVID-19 mostly spreads not through touching infected stuff or through droplets that quickly drop. While those can be routes to infection, these two CU Boulder scientists are among a growing group of world scientists who report that COVID-19 spreads mainly because people breathe floaty particles called aerosols. Jose Luis Jimenez says people make these aerosols when they breathe or talk or shout. When we breathe out, there's little pieces of our saliva and our respiratory fluid, which is the fluid that lines our lungs and our trachea and whatever, that come out. This happens all the time. Jimenez says when someone's infected with coronavirus, those aerosols can spread the infection. When you are sick and there are viruses in your respiratory tract or your saliva, these particles can contain viruses. And then when someone else breathes them in, that's how they can get them sick. 
Scientists now know much more about COVID-19 than they did back in the early spring. It's worth knowing that in the early spring, the Centers for Disease Control and the World Health Organization staunchly held the position that you wouldn't get COVID-19 if you didn't stand close to other people, you washed your hands a lot, you didn't touch your face. A clue that those bastions of health authority might not have the whole picture correct was that choir groups around the world were popping up as super spreader events. Even while the choirs were getting sick and other disconcerting sicknesses kept popping up, many medical authorities still assured that you wouldn't get COVID-19 if you washed your hands a lot and you didn't touch your face. One person giving that advice was a New York City medical doctor, David Price. The way that you get this is the transmission of the virus almost exclusively from your hands to your face. From your hands to your face. And so it's either into your eyes, into your nose, or into your mouth. Dr. Price did this talk four or five months ago. It went viral on YouTube and was soon featured on Good Morning America and Fox News. What Dr. Price was saying fit with recommendations from the CDC, meaning the Centers for Disease Control, and the WHO, the World Health Organization. These very powerful health agencies were saying the coronavirus mainly spreads through droplets. You know, virus-laden droplets that shoot out of people's mouths when they're breathing or sneezing or coughing. And then those droplets were heavy enough, they quickly drop on things. With droplets in mind, these agencies urged, stay a few feet apart, wash your hands, don't touch your face. So what about breathing in smaller particles that weren't heavy enough to drop? Those agencies said that for the most part, don't worry about the tiny particles that float around in the air. Don't worry about the aerosols. And since those agencies said that, so did medical experts such as Dr. Price. Someone at a party has this and you shake their hand, right? And then you touch your face. It's that simple. That is how you get this disease. But as that advice kept being said, more people heard about things like a Washington state choir group that sang indoors for two hours. No one hugged or shook hands. They all used hand sanitizers. They kept their distance. Out of 60 people, 50 got COVID-19. Two people died. One choir member said, we did everything we were supposed to do. Tragedies like this raised alarm bells for Jose Luis Jimenez and Shelley Miller. They decided to start checking things out for themselves. Speaking in an online webinar from CU Boulder, Shelley Miller says aerosols are why singing or even playing a wind instrument can spew loads of virus into the air. We are doing a study at CU Boulder right now looking at aerosol generation from wind instruments, theater performances, and singing. And we do see that aerosol is released from all of these activities, especially when you're projecting. When the theater performer, one of our professors, came into our lab and was really projecting and acting, we got a lot of aerosol. But then when he was talking, it was much less at a normal, you know, volume. You know, we still don't know enough, and that's why we're doing our research, because there's nothing out there in the literature. But we think they're high-risk aerosol-generating opportunities. Coronavirus probably is not nearly as contagious in the air as a disease such as the measles. However, in a stuffy indoor space, coronavirus can be contagious for several feet, many feet, for the whole room. If you want to envision how invisible aerosols can spread coronavirus, just imagine how cigarette smoke floats around in a stuffy room. 
the highest risk happens when you're nearest the person who is infected. They are emitting and shedding and expiring all of these particles that contain a virus. So you're there in their cloud and the cloud has all sorts of different sizes of particles. And most of them are just gonna remain airborne. And then if you are close, we call that short range transmission, you can inhale the virus. If you move away and you're somewhere in the room and these particles are still in the room, then you can also inhale these particles and be exposed called the long range airborne route. There's much higher risk in the short range and as you move away, there is still some risk depending on the kind of environment that this is happening in. Shelley Miller says that the WHO was, and still is, slow to listen. At the beginning, we thought we're gonna be diplomatic and we're just gonna call the WHO and have a private conversation with them and try to convince them that this is a problem. And that didn't work. And so then we started, you know, and then we realized, well, there's no leadership trying to help under America understand how to get this under control. So now here all of us scientists are madly tweeting and writing articles and trying to do research, trying to get the word out. Even with all the news reports around the world, the WHO is still reluctant to acknowledge how much aerosols may lead to COVID-19 infection in crowded, stuffy places. On the local level, CU Boulder decided to listen to their experts as they looked ahead for how to reopen in-person classes at CU Boulder. Miller and Jimenez spent all summer working with CU staff to improve CU's HVAC system. HVAC stands for Heating, Ventilation, and Air Conditioning. Their HVAC recommendations about CU might also be helpful for inside a home, inside a business, or inside an elementary school. One recommendation for how to make indoor classes safer is to wear a mask. Perhaps you heard How on Earth's Beth Bennett interview Jose Luis Jimenez a few weeks ago. If not, you might want to listen. Jimenez offers a lot of details about how to understand aerosol transmission, plus how to make sure a mask is really protective. Shelley Miller agrees that masks are important. Cultures that implement mask wearing over even 90% of their communities are doing much better at controlling this pandemic and reducing and opening up their societies. I mean, we all want to open up and get back to school and get back to what we love to do. We can do that if we follow these few steps, including wearing a mask. On the other hand, she's not okay with some of the extreme ways that people try to clean indoor surfaces. Soap and water is fantastic. Alcohol works great. If you're wanting to go use bleach, we really recommend not using bleach in occupied surfaces in your home. And it really is a very toxic combination when used with ammonia. The safest bet is to stick by Trident Chew soap and alcohol. She says do not use sprays to clean indoor air. Spraying hydrogen peroxide or spraying these other chemicals into the indoor environment is just a really bad idea. And I see lots of school districts and other places thinking that they're doing the great thing, but they're not. They're actually toxifying the environment and harming people's health. So CU Boulder is striving to keep classrooms clean in non-toxic ways. They've also instituted a rigorous system of keeping classroom chairs at a distance. Here's Chris Ewing. Ewing heads up facilities management at CU Boulder. We would assume that everybody would be wearing masks. We would assume that everybody would be washing hands, whether with soap and water or alcohol. The third piece that we were focusing on, and 
was the distancing of the seats in the classroom. To keep people six feet apart, CU Boulder used what they call an eight-foot hexagon pattern. Look at it this way. A human body is maybe two feet wide, and with another six feet of distancing, that's about eight feet. Ewing says that an eight-foot hexagon spacing pattern has reduced the number of people in a classroom by a lot. On average, we see between 20 and 30 percent capacity under the hexagon compared to normal classroom layouts. But it's made everyone safer from COVID-19. As part of setting up classrooms, CU Boulder considered separating desks with plexiglass so they could space the desks closer together. But the aerosol experts said that might mess up airflow and lead some places to have more concentrated pockets of viruses. Here's CU aerosol expert Shelley Miller. Now we had a discussion all together and those of us who study airflow were against using plexiglass for general classroom operations due to the uncertainty about what would happen with the airflow. Instead of using barriers such as plexiglass, CU Boulder decided to use a fresher approach, literally. It's well documented that COVID-19 doesn't cause as many infections in the outdoors. Outdoor air dilutes the concentration of the virus. So CU Boulder decided in indoor classrooms, they would bring in more outdoor air. Here's Shannon Horn. She's a mechanical engineer on the staff of CU Buildings and Facilities. It's creating more of an outside air environment inside. Uh, Granted, we're heating and cooling it. That's always a plus, so people feel comfortable. But we're, in essence, creating an outdoor environment inside. Horn says CU classrooms now have a lot more fresh air, through everything from special filters that freshen recirculating air to opening a window to bring in fresh air. Shannon Horn adds that because social distancing means fewer people are in a classroom, it means more fresh air per person. When we were doing those eight-foot hexagons, we're reducing our capacity down to about 25-30%. So what that means, we have about 70% extra outside air capacity for each individual in that space. Aerosol scientist Shelley Miller says anyone in any indoor space can use the concept they've used at CU Boulder. Listen closely as Miller talks about HVAC systems, that's heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems, and she talks about especially good filters for recirculating air, such as MERV filters. Now, there's some very technical stuff in what she says, so keep in mind, you can go to CU COVID Research Solutions, that website, and get more specifics. Here's Shelly Miller. What you need to know is what's the clean air delivery rate. That's how much clean air or particle-free air this air cleaner is going to provide you. The certification that sometimes I recommend is the clean air delivery rate. It should tell you the room size that this air cleaner can work in. When you have a 600 square foot space, which was the classroom sizes in my daughter's classroom, I recommended a clean air delivery rate of above 400. You know, I'm the expert and yet I spent over an hour on the AHEM website trying to find the right air cleaner that would give me 400 CADR. And it can be a stressful decision because then that will cost you $600. So it's a lot to handle which is why we did put together a tool to help you figure out what's the clean air delivery rate for the size of room that you might want. And that resource is available. It's a Google spreadsheet. Shelley Miller says that if you don't want to get COVID-19, please avoid crowded stuffy spaces, such as crowded buildings, crowded cars, crowded bars. But a lot of times we go into spaces where we have no idea if there's any outside air in there at all. I like to encourage people to have some easy rule of thumb, which is if it's hot and stuffy, 
the chances are that there's probably not enough outside air in that space. You don't want to be in a poorly ventilated space where there's a lot of people and not wearing masks. That is the highest risk you can put yourself in to get this virus. If we are operating on a plan where we have minimal number of people, everyone's wearing masks, and we have great ventilation, the risk is really, really quite low. Perhaps the many stuffy indoor spaces around the world is why large health authorities such as the WHO might rather not say that the disease COVID-19 can spread in indoor spaces. But there might be a reason to make indoor spaces safer. Shelley Miller says we need to get our lives started up again. We have to move on and get our lives going. This is taking a lot longer than we thought. How do we move forward in our society and community in a safe way while we address this pandemic? And so I was just really proud that our campus was thinking, okay, let's do everything we can figure out. People are afraid because they just don't understand and don't have clear information about it, how to keep themselves safe. The simple ways to keep yourself safe are always wear a mask, don't spend a lot of time in a crowded environment that doesn't feel like it's well ventilated. And it's not any more complicated than that. If you need to add ventilation in a poorly ventilated space, you wonder, you measure the CO2 if it's too high, then you try to open a window or you bring in an air cleaner. These are information that we keep trying to get out over and over again, and I appreciate the campus for listening to us because now that will help us mitigate risk. There are no guarantees that these efforts will entirely work. Perhaps we'll reach herd immunity before we need them. Who knows? But CU Boulder may be worth watching for seeing where they succeed in preventing large outbreaks of COVID-19. And if they don't, where they don't. If you'd like to learn more about how CU Boulder is working to make indoor classes safer and how you might make any indoor space safer from COVID-19 and other viruses and pollutants, check out CU Boulder's webinar series, CU COVID Research Solutions. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is Susan Moran. This week's show was produced by yours truly, Shelley Schlender, and engineered by Maeve Conran. Additional contributions from Angel Shang and Beth Bennett. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Beethoven and some choirs. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.